And we are recording yet again with Dr. K- the one and only Dr. Ken Albeck, the genius, handsome doctor from the former Soviet Union, now doing autism research, who's been on here, I don't know, 10, 11 times before. And you're doing some uh, beautiful research with with autism. Your youngest daughter has autism. And we've done, I want to say, eight other episodes where we have some of your patients on from Eastern Europe. And they've, they're beautiful episodes. They come on and they, you know, mm-hmm. you can see throughout the progression months apart as they start to incorporate your uh, techniques and, um, I guess, changes in diet and behavior. And you, that you, can see we'll go watch the videos you can see them talking how their children are unrecognizable um but with that dr alba could we maybe start with um with where you are now in your research and for all the listeners could you because i actually don't know off the top of my head could you just could you define autism uh autism uh uh, uh, uh i'm sorry uh first of all of course thank you very much for your time of course uh, thank you very Absolutely. much for your interest in uh, knowing autism and maybe uh, kind of delivery uh, based information to uh, other people who are interested in autism. Yes, sir. Uh, why it's important? Uh, the latest uh, information about autism actually is saying, I mean, just many publications the number of uh, kids having autism in the states and in the world is growing dramatically. Uh, just recent uh, publication uh, about research done by uh, CDC says uh, nowadays we have uh, one of forty-four children having autism. One in forty-four. Yeah, one of, uh, in forty-four. And even uh, you can imagine. Um, about 15, 20 years ago, this number was one of, uh, in 110 or so. And you know, just, this number is growing quite dramatically. And uh, autism, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's always important just to discuss how it's defined, autism defined by uh, some medical institutions, uh, what kind of official definition we have on autism, about autism. And what is actually what is actually we see what we see actually as uh, a disease in uh, children. Uh, first, uh, officially, autism is a neuropsychological or neuropsychiatric disorder, uh, which uh, influences uh, behavior, uh, ability of speaking, and uh, uh, inability to have normal social interaction. Uh, and uh, officially, it's considered uh, incurable. And uh, the major factors uh, nowadays uh, are considered uh, genetic, uh, genetic changes and some environmental factors. But there is no clear definition what kind of environmental factors are playing a role in autism. This is what we have at this point. Uh, it's important to know that uh, it was actually discovered and classified more than eight years ago. Uh, since then, uh, we had so many discoveries made, made in medicine in general and in autism in particular, uh, but they didn't play any significant role in uh, autism treatment. 
that's what we're looking for at this point of time. What is the current what is the current form of treatment? Like if uh I'm 32, I don't have kids, nor am I married. But if I had a kid and the child had autism, what is the current just what do you do? How does it get diagnosed? What do you go about? How do you go about treating it? Is there such such thing as treatment? Is it just management? Do you just learn how to live with it? What is the the one oh one? You know, when uh of course in the field of medicine we divide uh, I mean uh divide all possible treatments in two categories. Uh, first is just treatment itself or management of symptoms and uh a cure. Uh, but we know that there is no cure at this point of time, and that's why uh, we can discuss we can discuss uh, just treatment. And treatment uh, has possible treatment approaches have have two different uh, directions. First, it's so-called behavioral treatment, uh, including several things like um, language ther uh, therapies, uh, then. AB therapy, and then some, some other methods of treatment, uh, occupational therapy. Uh, but when, uh, and another part of treatment is a more, I would say, not uh, autism treatment. It's more than kind of uh, treatment of comorbidities, like, uh, because many kids, uh, they have a big number of, uh, we call them comorbidities, like, uh, Epilepsy, seizures, uh, we have uh, some symptoms of bipolar uh, syndrome, uh, then uh, ADHD, and uh, some problems with gastrointestinal tract, uh, sleeping disorders, and many other things. And just all, all the uh, possible treatments, when we talk about medication, uh, they are focused on uh, comorbidities, uh, but there is no... Uh, actual treatment which can be considered uh, a cure that's what we have at the same so there's no actual you just you just you just get it, you just get it and it's kind of that's it yeah that, that's what we have uh, you know to me when uh, it's interesting from this point for any other disease, uh, we actually know many things about possible uh, root cause, uh, possible mechanism of disease development and uh, clinical manifestations. For autism, uh, we have a completely different situation. Specifically, uh, just in the field of medicine, we actually divide all uh, possible uh, descriptions of uh, any disease into three categories. First category, we call it uh, clinical manifestations. Um, and based on this, we have a method of treatment, which we call uh, symptomatic treatment. We treat symptoms. And these treatments are not curated. I mean, just, we are not planning to cure a disease. We just just we, what we do, we just ease symptoms. Uh, with a set of symptoms or just with some uh, or some attempts to ease them. Uh, this is what we do at this point of time. Uh, but there is another uh, kind of definition of this 
which we call etiology. Etiology actually is the root cause. We need to understand what uh, is underneath. I mean, what, what kind of cause could be or causes could, could lead to autism development. And we don't use uh, at this point, and even just uh, regardless of big number of publications already made, we don't use anything uh, which actually, actually has been already published about a possible, not possible, actually different, uh, different uh, root cause. It's already pretty well known. And uh, another way of uh, understanding or defining disease, we call, we call this uh, study, uh, study of pathogenesis. Pathogenesis actually uh, is, uh, I would say, implies to the mechanism of disease development. Uh, because when we have a disease, we need to understand uh, how it starts, uh, how it develops, what kind of organs, systems are involved in disease development, in, in disease development. and based on this, we uh, apply one another uh, method of treatment, uh, specifically fo focusing on uh, the particular mechanism. Uh, in the case of autism, uh, we don't use any etiological or etiotropic treatment, and we don't use any pathogenetic treatment. Everything we do at this point of time, we are focusing just on uh, symptoms and try to ease symptoms of, uh, uh, in autistic kids. Could you define those three words, etiology, was it entheology? Uh, and... Pathogenesis. Pathogenesis. Yeah, and clinical manifestations or clinical picture. Okay. Clinical symptoms, you can say. Etiology is a root cause. Uh, you know, just uh, any disease has a beginning. Any disease uh, actually is having uh, a trigger. For example, if uh, we talk about some, actually this term etiology came from the, the field of infectious diseases. Uh, and it just when we say that etiology is uh, equal to root cause, but it looks like it's uh, quite clear uh, to understand. And in this case, uh, what we have, uh, even just at some point, I saw some definition coming from the, the National Institute of Health, which actually uh, say autism uh, of uh, is a disease with the etiology, uh, I would say, kind of genetic, genetic etiology, meaning that uh, uh, etiological factors uh, which actually start the disease, trigger uh, uh, autism, is our genes. It's, it's a big mistake. Uh, genes cannot be triggers, they're targets, because they, they, they cannot change uh, in small children uh, by themselves. Uh, it's you know just because if for example we need we need to define how to uh, understand the trigger of disease we need we need to see for some environmental factors and the great majority of publications uh, at this point of time they are focusing on infectious agents and you would talk about uh, autism and analyze publications uh, and publications are coming from many 
different places in the world, uh, from European countries, from American publications, uh, publications from some uh, developed Asian countries. And we see more and more information about some infectious agents uh, capable of causing, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, being considered or should be considered as uh, uh, etiological agents. Specifically, and physicians would understand what I'm talking about. Um, there is a term torch. Torch, uh, you know, just uh, we, we know what torch, uh, torch is it's in English language. But actually, uh, uh, this definition actually is uh, because it's 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 uh, an abbreviation. Uh, T stands for uh, toxoplasmosis. It's uh, it's uh, a type of parasitic disease. Mm -hmm. Post uh, stands for others, and uh, I will explain what it is. Uh, R stand, uh, stands for rubella. C stands for uh, cytomegalovirus, and H stands for uh, herpes herpes simplex. Mean uh, because why we call uh, them port, uh, torch? Uh, actually, this abbreviation was given uh, uh, by some scientists. Uh, I would say about 50, 50 years ago, and it was at that time we knew that these uh, infections they are really important as congenital infections. I mean the infections which could be transmitted from pregnant mother to a child. Uh, through different mechanisms, uh, directly uh, from placenta, if a mother is infected, uh, then uh, either a child can be affected when in the process of delivery, or in some cases, uh, these children can be infected when they're bre breastfed. And this is pretty well known. Uh, and for example, if you go to uh, to CDC, uh, a CDC website, we would see that, for example, uh, some explanation that cytomegalovirus uh, or some other uh, pathogens uh, from a group of torch uh, can uh, cause neurological problems uh, in children. Even at some point, I saw, I saw that rubella and cytomegalovirus uh, can be considered the viruses uh, playing a role in autism development and playing a role in cerebral palsy development. This is what actually is pretty well known. It's, it's not something, for example, we discover and, and we say, okay, okay, guys, it's our discovery. No, it's already known. But when we talk about torch, uh, others, uh, I mean, this letter uh, coming from others will stand for a number of other diseases, uh, infectious diseases, specifically could, could be um, chlamydia, uh, it could be parvovirus, some viral pathogens, some bacterial pathogens, and the number actually is increasing quite dramatically. It's some of them are from herpes group, some of them from, from uh, some other viral and bacterial infections. This actually is uh, pretty well known. But it's interesting from this point. Uh, it's interesting for researchers, for physicians who are uh, doing some research. Uh, but logically, if it's known, why wouldn't we uh, test our children uh, immediately after they're born uh, for 
condition whether they're infected or not. Okay. Another question, uh, why wouldn't we test uh, would be mothers for these conditions? Because it's absolutely logical. Mm -hmm. If we want to prevent uh, this tragic development, of course, we need, we need to do this. And this is uh, one of the things which is pretty well known, pretty well described, uh, published, and just recently we uh, sent publication that it was accepted uh, and hopefully it will appear quite soon and we describe how how it takes place but you know but uh, I would say okay I did something like this no it's not true what I've done let me say just I collected all the information I tested uh, uh, the, for the presence of these pathogens uh, and antibodies to these pathogens in in uh, the children having autism. And you know, it's in 100% cases we see these infections. But what is more dramatic, the information about uh, a role of maternal infection mm -hmm. and uh, future autism development is pretty well explained and described. I don't remember whether I told you or not, uh, one of the most striking publications uh, was um, published in uh, 2019 after some retrospective analysis of uh, mothers and kids uh, having autism. And uh, it was done by a big uh, Swedish group. Uh, they analyzed uh, 108 million uh, pregnancies and uh, using some uh, medical histories of uh, mothers who uh, were hospitalized and it was just it was perfectly shown that uh, all mothers who were hospitalized and had some infection mostly viral infections in the first trimester uh, there was another publication stating about bacterial infections it was another study the, uh, a Danish study they uh, approved it was statistically a um, uh, significant study saying okay if a mother had uh, a maternal infection um, a probability of having a child who would eventually develop uh, develop autism is very very high this is first and this information is pretty well known and just as if we were deeper we see some other publications uh, we see some publications in the United States, and this is uh, actually really striking uh, because you know, just whatever you say, there is no way to uh, reject this type of studies because the number of uh, cases started respecting, uh, uh, like, because you cannot study it, let me say, upfront, like a prospective study, but uh, some retrospective studies. Uh, with millions of children involved, they show a direct, a direct uh, correlation uh, between maternal infections and uh, the infection, I mean, and autism in the children uh, who, I mean, risk of uh, autism was much, much higher. And we will see that many of these uh, children will develop autism. 
this is first, this is kind of explanation of uh, etiology. It means in our particular case, autism, uh, I mean, etiology would be an infectious agent. Some people say, okay, okay whether, uh, because what's the difference between, uh, because there are some, some other publications about inflammation. Inflammation is a condition, so-called low-grade inflammation, which actually is uh, in the state when our bodies, instead of uh, having normal immune response, is producing kind of low-grade response, uh, producing low-grade inflammation. It's something like, we have, maybe it would be easier to understand. Uh, when we talk about COVID-19, uh, why people having uh, cardiovascular disease, why people having uh, cancers, uh, diabetes, some other chronic conditions, they were dying in a bigger number compared to younger people. And the only thing which could be considered absolutely statistically, I would say, uh, proven, is the presence of chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation is a player uh, because the immune system uh, of an infected person is already producing some low, low levels of uh, cytokines. And when uh, such a person is infected, the production of cytokines is getting up dramatically. And these people will develop a cytokine storm, uh, some uh, uh, respiratory distress, we can say you will have a chance to die, I mean, in, big, in bigger numbers. This is actually, it's not the direct, I mean, comparison, but just in order to understand what it means. Uh, and uh, so-called chronic inflammation, uh, which is being developed by murders while they get infected with the mothers. Uh, they live in, in a state of inflammation, they deliver children uh, having low-grade inflammation, and the children having low-grade inflammation and infected either prenatally or immediately postnatally with some other infectious agents, they uh, acquire the most, two most important things. Infection, which is in a chronic state, and uh, even when we say chronic state, I would say latent or uh, reactivatable infections, and we have, we have uh, inflammation in these children. That's that's why initially, when let me say just everything is beginning, we don't see uh, many signs. What while these kids are growing, we say just, and that's what already a pathogenesis because inflammation, infection, they start attacking different organs, different systems. Uh, I mean, uh, including brain, including the immune system, including. The, uh, I mean, uh, the endocrine system, and that's why uh, we wouldn't see many things initially, but uh, as child is being developed, we say we start seeing more and more because the child is getting, let me say, already kind of captured by all these factors which are causing damage to all the brain, I mean, all the organs, including the brain, including the immune system, including the endocrine system. That's what we see. That's what kind of a difference between, but you know, but it's it's much more complex, of course, just if, if you ask uh, uh, maybe in a greater detail, uh, definitely I will explain to you other things. Um, question about its cause <clears throat> and it being 
could it is there i'm not sure if i'm using the correct terminology could it be said that there is an an epigenetic impact if just you know however many years ago it was one in 110 and it's already down to one in 140 or sorry one in 45 or one in 44 that's increasing far faster than any normal sort of like natural selection type of, you know, the, the a giraffe slowly getting a longer neck over millions of years. That's a pretty wild, that's a pretty wild increase in, in, in frequency, which would, I don't really see why it would be selected for. So it seems like there has to be some sort of environmental, environmental factor to it. It just, Nothing else really makes sense. How could it increase? I mean, one in a hundred, one in a uh, hundred and ten to one in forty-four. That's over double. In how many years did you say that was? What was that change? No, but you know, I would say even more. Um, in ninety, in nineteen seventy-five, the ratio was one to twenty-five hundred. Okay, so that even more so is. Yeah, we're looking at frequency changes that. You yeah. see with like technology, you know, how many people were using a touchscreen 10 years ago versus now with evolution. It is on a geologic time scale, right? It's the evolution of the opposable thumb. It's it's blue irises. It's we're looking at things that happen over over glacial periods. This is one in twenty five hundred to one in forty four. That's what, 52 years. That's yeah. ins- that's ins- unless we're just witnessing some explosive growth of a i guess an allele or something that's seemingly becoming dominant but that doesn't really i feel like that's not that doesn't really fit the uh fit the puzzle piece you know Tommy, uh i thought about whether i should tell uh about what i found and you know i wouldn't even say that i'm 100 percent sure uh, but it seems to me we need to start the discussion at some point and someone, someone needs to uh, start talking about this for the first time. And the question is this, I mean, why we see such a dramatic increase in the race, I mean, just uh, increase in, in autism. And when uh, Leo Conner in the 40s uh, in 1940, discovered autism. He found just a level children having symptoms, and it was the first description classification. Uh, you can imagine 19, 1940s. I mean, just uh, actually, it was considered a kind of orphan, very rare disease. Something happens uh, at the end of sixties. And even by uh, 1975, we have already a big number. We've got one uh, in 2500, it's already a significant number. It's still rare, but significant. You know, at some point, uh, I started thinking, okay, okay what, do we, what, what did we have at the time? Uh, I started looking through... Um, statistical some statistical information and what i noticed uh, sometime in the 70s we started seeing some dramatic increase in sexually transmitted diseases mm-hmm. for example we started seeing uh, like cytomegalovirus 
infection or herpes simplex or Epstein bar. Uh, we didn't hear hear anything about Helicobacter at that time. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it was a kind of time when we mostly thought about acute infections. Yeah. And there was a kind of uh, uh, understanding uh, that the infectious disease field actually is coming to the end. Uh, there was even somebody who looks like it was an attorney, uh, uh, a surgeon general uh, in the late of 60s or beginning of 70s. He said, okay, we're losing the book of infectious diseases. I think because future diseases wouldn't be infectious. And that's why, uh, I mean, when I started analyzing this, you know what came to my uh, um, to my attention. Um, it's a little bit what I'm a little bit nervous now to to tell about this. You can say whatever you want. You, you know, just uh, have you heard the term the pill? The pill. The pill. Oh, the pill. Yeah, the well, pill. That's what a I'm the pill. That's what I was, actually I was thinking when you were saying 1975, I was thinking like what led up to that? And I was racking through my mind. I was going to say radiation from nuclear bombings, but that's 30 years prior. I was going to say Agent Orange, 10 years, but that's 65 to 75 in Vietnam. I was thinking what other two big ones I was going to say birth control or uh, and or thalidomide. Birth control. Those all happened right around there. Birth control. You know why birth control? Because first, uh, first pills, these pills uh, discovered and approved were very mm -hmm. anti-Vietnam uh, protests. Heavy, uh, very heavy in terms of the effect. Uh, I mean, causing inflammation uh, because they contained uh, two uh, two components. Estrogen and synthetic, uh, synthetic uh, progesterone or mm -hmm. progesterone. Uh, progesterone, progesterone is one of them. Yeah, and, yeah, and they are so dramatically pro-inflammatory. And in this case, uh, actually, what what we saw in this case, we, it looks like two different things came came together. First, uh, no worry about possible. Uh, pregnancy uh, because it's uh, it was a kind of contra uh, contraception which wouldn't give I mean or reduce possibility of getting pregnant and another thing but uh, you know just if there was no threat uh, people started using more I would say less physical protection mm-hmm and this is the time, for example, when we start seeing, if we take a look at how uh, sexually transmitted disease started increasing in the 70s, you would see, let me say, how chlamydia is getting up, uh -huh. how Epstein-Barr is getting up, how cetamigyl, herpes, they are going to get. As soon as you apply uh, uh, the figures of Autism race, uh, and exactly same pattern. 
the same oh what so it follows it like the same linear yes that's that's because you could do kind of see not only do you see the pill in, in the 60s and 70s but that's also kind of the onset of the free love hippie woodstock you see just the kind of the social conventions of multiple partners or premarital sex kind of breaking from that you know 1940s greatest generation era to more of the the hippie free love era and then this is all preceding uh the aids epidemic in the 80s and early 90s you know i, I would say this of course it's uh i didn't want to have you you know i'm not uh playing any political games i'm saying oh, no sure we're, we're just yeah, we're talking about health we're brainstorming yeah yeah and then at this point i can say i i see no other reason yeah uh just for autism to to increase uh, because it's a, a it's a matter i mean it's exactly uh it's exactly let me see um coincides with uh the race of chronic uh, mainly sexually transmitted diseases and and the autism rates we're not talking about uh the current generation we're talking about the generation of baby boomers and I actually because they play uh, or played let me say a big role in establishing this pattern later on uh we know we started seeing uh, a kind of better uh birth control pills uh but you know but when you have already if at the time we had uh, uh 10 or 5 percent uh infection with this uh pathogens like herpes like cytomegalovirus some other pathogens nowadays we see from 70 to 90 percent infection yeah what what should they expect what should they expect from this and you know in this case uh because uh these pills are vigorously promoted and uh you know i saw even some um, statistics of uh, uh this pill, uh, pill usage i mean and even younger girls uh, they start using these contraceptives i mean early on in their lives and uh, in this case you can imagine and then i i went to some other publications just trying to understand what kind of damage uh birth control pills can, can cause to younger population uh i'm not in a position to say okay they're all bad no yeah not, 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 of course not but uh, a big number of uh especially psychiatric journals uh, uh and scientists who analyzed the possible effects of uh, these pills on on the body of uh younger girls uh, they see that uh, inflammation is increasing and uh, for example teenagers who have um taken these pills they have a much higher level of inflammation compared to those who didn't take them in this case it's a kind of things to explain because people are always asking what happened why it's happened and uh, i analyzed uh the possibility of uh, uh taking some uh, uh illegal drugs 
having alcohol, smoking, some other things, and there is no correlation. And so those, yeah, only and correlation those... is coming from uh, with uh, birth control pills. Well, alcohol and tobacco, those those are also aren't new variables. We've been, <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe because in this case, if there were alcohols. Uh, we would have more artistic kids yeah i mean think of like the wild west like california 18 every cowboy is smoking and drinking and and all the way before that i mean revolutionary war it's pipes and you know all the way back to to pre-colony uh europe so that's not new um but 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 you know uh, what could be funny of course of course i'm not pretending to to say this but uh, we we cannot if we want to, for example, to create a kind of uh, a crazy idea. We can say, okay, guys, autism is growing because we, we stop smoking. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we reduce we reduce the number of smokers. And I mean, I mean, you look at Italy and France, and they eat a ton of carbs, they smoke cigarettes, and they all drink wine, and they live longer than us. You might not be that wrong. I mean, there is something to be said for that sedentary lifestyle. They seem to live longer than us. And and I'm not the first to bring that up before. Where it's saying like smoking and drinking might not be that bad. <laughs> you know, of course, I know just it's uh, uh if we say this, we're not in the mainstream. Uh, yeah. Uh, but when I visited when I visited Japan, you can you can imagine it's uh, I would say half at least half people. I saw on stage, let me say, they're smokers. Smoking and drinking, and they live to their yeah, like They have the longest yeah. pregnancy in the world. Yeah. No, you're not You're not wrong. You're not. My grandmother had a beer every day, and she died at 86. She was fine. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, the only other thing I could think of, though, aside from birth control is, and I'm not as certain about this, but that's also in terms of like new variable, like alcohol, tobacco, those aren't new variables. Those have been around thousands of years. Um, uh, uh, psychiatric medication, SSRIs, maybe lit, lit antipsychotics. And I'm not as certain about this, but weren't those kind of around 50s, 60s? Um, we analyzed, I mean, different psychiatric medications and you know, it's it's interesting from this point. They are not causing autism directly. Okay. Many medications. And this is such actually a little bit. It looks horrible to me. Many of them are quite pro-inflammatory. Uh, and for example, we use uh, Depakin for uh, reducing uh, epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Depakin, Depakin. Uh, Depico, oh, and yeah, Depakotes for uh, yeah. for manic episodes. Yeah, but Depakot is really uh, inflammatory. And in, in the field, can you imagine this? In the field of science, we use valproic acid or Depakot mm-hmm. uh, for inducing artistic-like syndromes. Yeah. In, in experimental animals. Wow, because this is the one with all the compound which can cause, uh, I mean, a social uh, a disruption of social interaction is with, uh, with children, I mean, uh, with young, uh, young experimental animals. They start behaving 
behavior let me say has artistic I mean the list of social interaction they are from their own let me say they they start making a kind of strange behavior and it's a result of uh, uh and this is uh, from this point yes it could could be another but you know but uh, what's important in this case that I just maybe uh reprocast or depart they shouldn't be considered uh like uh, direct causes of autism. This should, should be a kind of uh, components playing, I mean, a paving ground for new information coming, for infection coming, let's say, and playing a role in establishing autism. Okay. I mean, in the parents, you know, for example, if they take vitreoic acid uh, and they used, for example, not necessarily just uh, some of them do, some of them not, but uh, especially when we have uh, somebody take, taking this, uh, then somebody uh, using birth control pills, was already uh, creating a kind of uh, a ground, uh, kind of paving, let me say, line uh, for, uh, for infection, uh, because, because having some low level information the people have information they get infected much uh faster and this is like with covid 19. okay, okay somebody who's having information somebody who's having all these problems let me say they get infected easily and they have much stronger immune responses negative immune responses to uh, to themselves this is uh, this is what we need to keep in mind because people are arguing, arguing whether it's uh, uh, some psychotropics or infection. Uh, in my opinion, it's a big uh, mistake when we argue, saying, you know, okay, just it should be either this or that. No, they, they're working together. They're working together. And one more thing that I'd like to maybe mention. Because there is a good study which actually shows a kind of dependence between uh, the uh, between the age of uh, would be parents, uh, parents who are in late thirties, or um, I would say because you can, you can imagine if before the time of uh, age of marriage was about. Uh, 25 or before 25 now, this is some kind of average is already 30. I mean, what, what it means in this case? Yes, of, of course, without blaming anybody. Okay, okay, if you are 20 years old, because you definitely had already uh, a bigger number of partners, right? It's logical. Because no, nobody, nobody to blame. Second, uh, if uh, a lady is 30 years old, with this, having partners and so on and so forth, because she wants to be protected. Okay, and because the market is offering a huge variety of different birth control pills. Mm -hmm. The second factor. The third factor, uh, I would say, uh, by this age, like many people nowadays, they have chronic, uh, chronic diseases. We start developing diabetes, uh, many of them are becoming obese, many, many of us. Some have uh, uh, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto, and all, all many other things. And uh, like, let me say, 
becomes an extra like a kind of uh, cherry piece or, or cherry on top on the cake. We have infections. Yeah, infections. I mean, this is a result of all the things. That's what we have. And in this case, uh, uh, I already noticed but when when I see uh, when I talk to parents, many of them are quite. Uh, I would say aged, uh, but they're not young. When you see persons in the UK, they're not eighteen, twenty years uh, old. They are already in their uh, late thirties or late twenties. Uh, this it's a range is, and it means, for example, having some chronic conditions. I mean, not necessarily diseases, but some disorders. Uh, having some. Uh, not all of them, but some of them have having some birth control pills. Uh, then getting infections, uh, and many of them are having cro chronic. Uh, you, you can imagine it's. Uh, I see herpes, uh, simplex. I see cytomegalovirus, Epstein Barr. I see mycoplasma. I see many things, and it would be really unusual if. Uh, mothers during pregnancy wouldn't transfer uh, inflammation and infection to uh, to their newborns. That's the case. So <clears throat> two things I was just kind of thinking about in the back of my mind is one, um, if uh, if the pill, if, if contraception could could lead to autism, we wouldn't even actually know what the full picture is because that's also that whole era of well, one, the whole, the kind of the free love, the hippie movement, really kind of the introduction of, I guess, a, another wave of feminism. You have multiple variables, right? Being free love, the spread of the STDs, the multiple partners, and then the, the pill. Um, It's also, that's kind of where the social window is shifted towards, um, uh, women's choice for abortion so i wonder how many you know it would go it would go it would follow along uh, logic right <laughs> that that the uh, the woman or women using the pill would also probably be most likely to have had an abortion and it's this is just my logic this is just my observation i'm not trying to be uh, tell me i would suggest a different approach okay you know, a woman. First of all, of course, we were not sexists, correct? No, 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 no. The the, the point. We cannot say okay, everything uh, is because of uh, our women. No, no, it's not the case. Sure. No, yeah, no. We're kind of equal a situation between males and females. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question about this. But uh, it, at this point, uh, I would uh, focus more on pharma companies. Producing this type of uh, birth control pills, not because we need to uh, prohibit them, we need to use because there are some uh, less uh, damaging birth control sure. pills. They're more expensive, obviously, but, but you know, but they're not causing such a dramatic damage to the immune system and wouldn't cause inflammation. And another thing uh, I would suggest in this case, a simple test uh, for inflammation pre presence or autoimmunity presence, 
uh, the presence of some infections uh, before um, uh, a couple of plants, let me say, to have a child, uh, a simple treatment uh, without having any kind of expensive drug, drugs uh, would reduce the risk of autism. Not just dramatically, it actually it could make it, let me say, minister of non-existence. Yeah. But it's just, it, it's a part of the problem. And even just uh, in some cases, okay, we didn't do this uh, before a woman got pregnant, but we still have the time of pregnancy and we, we still can take samples, we can still analyze infections. And even uh, within the time of pregnancy, we have some medications which are permissible for using in pregnant women. Mm-hmm. In this case, even just because at the time of brain formation, some organ formations, just some diagnosis of these conditions and treatment of these conditions would definitely reduce the risk of uh, autistic child uh, appearance, let me say, many, many folds. And in this case, such a decision would uh, change, uh, change the entire pattern of uh, this situation. The uh, <clears throat> the only the only point I was trying to make. No, no, it's by no means is it a criticism or a sexist statement or that you know go do whatever you want. You want to use birth control, more power to you. Um, just from an observation, if we're looking at a a correlation to the kind of the the growth of you know contraception use and autism cases, I was going to say is then there'd be a lot of we'd also be missing a lot of data be, because of the number of abortions. You, you, we don't actually know what number of those kids might have and it might not be any increased number, but there's a large section of the pool of kids that didn't make it to birth. And thus, we don't even know what the full number is. That's the only point I was making was was we're, we're missing some data. Um, yeah, Tommy, you're absolutely right, because, you know, depending on uh, a timetable of pregnancy, uh, for example, just so we uh, analyzed I mean, uh, what kind of uh, um, perinatal, uh, or prenatal stages, let me say, are essential for uh, for monitoring and for checking whether a child can, can develop something. We know uh, that, for example, if a child is infected uh, within the first uh, nine weeks or so of pregnancy, and prob- a probability for a child to, uh, uh, I would say, uh, to be born alive is actually zero, actually zero. And you know, but uh, then later stages, because what, what kind of organs are being formed initially during the pregnancy? Is it nervous system? Uh, so called from, from uh, initial uh, nerve tubes from the embryo. What is being developed first is, uh, is our nervous system. For example, the kind of stage uh, of nerve, nerve tube, uh, then uh, stage of so called three bubble. Uh, stage, five bubble stage, but it's may, maybe from this point it's not so important. But what's important to say, because while uh, let me say, a child is uh, being 
uh, is being developing, I guess, from the MDR, let me see, to the fetus early stages. The child, uh, he was himself, has no immune, immune system yet. And uh, this developing embryo and the fetus uh, is protected by the mom's. Yeah, they get their mom's in any genes. But if the, mom, uh, if the mom is having already some inflammation, <laughs> what kind of protection you should expect? This is the case. Um, because when the child is developing under constant pressure of inflammation and infection, uh, there is no uh, way for us uh, to have a healthy child. This is a problem. Um, was it World War One or the 1920s? When was penicillin first introduced in mass? Was it the 20s or the teens? Uh, it was uh, Dr. Fleming discovered it after World War One. Uh, in uh, his card in uh, 1928, and it was introduced already as a medication uh, in the United States Army, in the British Army, in the early 40s. It was just kind of going, I know, just going back to earlier in the conversation, talking about different kind of huge changes in our environment. Again, not being alcohol and tobacco, but other things, contraception. Uh, the widespread use of psychedelics like LSD, uh, kind of the free love movement of the 60s and 70s. Another thing, thing I was thinking is um, is penicillin. In, in terms of all of human history, that's relatively new, right? Last That's the last 100 years, if even. And the only reason that popped into my mind is because you said that the, the first kind of autism symptoms w weren't discovered until the 40s, we don't really have any data prior to that. You, you know, it's interesting from this point. You know, this type of discussion, Tommy, could, could continue for for months and months and months. Yeah, it's fun. You, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, just because we're staying a little bit aside uh, you know, from uh, autism at this point. Antibiotics. You know, just we cannot blame antibiotics for having any kind of uh, negative effect for simple reason. Yeah. Uh, antibiotics, uh, if before discovery of antibiotics, what was the kind of fate of uh, a regular family? To give birth uh, to four, five, seven children in order to have uh, one, two, or three survivors. Yeah. Yeah, that was normal. Because the mortality rate was very high. Yeah. Since the discovery of antibiotics, this, uh, I mean, a pattern has changed dramatically. A probability of having some child who would uh, die in the early childhood is yeah. very rare. Mm -hmm. uh, one more thing, I mean, that's uh, if even in our field, for example, when we consider child uh, I would say, incapable of surviving. Uh, somebody who was uh, lower than one kilo or two pounds of weight would be considered the kids, not a child, and wouldn't be able to survive. Nowadays, we can save lives, lives for example, for uh, babies who are later than uh, two pounds. But we say it's a long work, and 
But when we talk about anti, I mean, um, antibiotics, autism saved so many lives. I mean, it's uh, created completely different perspective. But what happens, uh, in my opinion, a kind of at some point, there was a talk about uh, overuse of uh, antibiotics. And people claim that uh, using antibiotics would result in some damage situation to or to people who take them and superbugs like, like yeah Russia. and superbugs but what's what's interesting from this because being in this field uh, i would say for me what i'm going to say at this point uh and may, maybe it was the first talk uh, i mean and you would be the one who could uh explain this i would say seemingly crazy uh concept but actually would eventually become let me say kind of well accepted by everybody by every physician you know what uh because as soon as you go to, to a doctor somebody would say okay you cannot use antibiotics uh for more than five days for more than mm-hmm. days for more than seven days depending uh, but nobody would like to say that the uh currently uh, there are so many uh, antibiotic treatment regimens who would require months and months of usage of antibiotics uh, for life-saving. There are some treatments which would require long, I mean, lifelong treatments for antibiotics. And you know why? I mean, somebody would say, oh, okay, this is a way to create antibiotic resistance. Unfortunately, it's a vice versa. If you use short-term applications, you create antibiotic resistance. Okay. You, you know this logic. Just, yeah. You, yeah. If you use, let me put it this way. Uh, for example, let's imagine two fighters. One of the fighters, for example, is uh, fighting and trying to kill some other. Uh, fighter, but is not able to go completely and make this fighter sick. The second one. What's happening? The fighter survives, let me say, and now develops some resistance to such a fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is exactly what what ha- what's happening to to microbes who have not be, been killed completely because we are wounding this virus, we are creating conditions because why they develop uh, developing resistance? Resistance uh, is developing not because, uh, let me say, you are using long-term treatments. You develop resistance if you are unable to completely eliminate the pathogen from the place of infection. Okay, and as soon as you, uh, for example, have the microbe, which is uh, still alive, okay, we consider weakened, let's say, but it's still alive. And uh, let me say, the more we use short-term treatments, the more resistant this pathogen is developing. Because microbes, they they produce mutations very fast. Mm -hmm. And just if you uh, don't use, let me say, appropriate uh, long-term treatment or combination of two different 
uh, antibiotics. Yeah. Because the mechanism of action. Uh, yeah, the percentage of success goes up. You shouldn't expect, let me say, uh, full survival. Yeah. And what, and what happened? And because we as humans, because nature, uh, nature, why many, uh, we think that this earth uh, is the place for humans. Okay. No, it's not true. The earth is a place for microbes. Oh, yeah, no, they, yeah, we are a, a, a kind of, uh, their hosts, let me say. Oh yeah, no, we they're the they're the numerical superiority. Yeah, and this is their planet. We, without microbes, we would never be so coming. Yeah, we never appear. You know, because they uh, fight us, they help us develop some new things to protect us and getting more and more sophisticated. But we shouldn't forget, for example, for us uh, to get sophistication, let me say, in our health. For example, it's not. For example, it's not for a single person. Maybe something we develop it would be applicable for another generation. Okay, but in microbes, it's completely different thing. But we say first generation, which is, uh, I mean, uh, survives or multiplies in thirty minutes in an hour. For example, can create two three generations which are already resistant. Yeah, yeah. Within an hour, we have yeah. some microbes which already have some resistance. Yeah. And the resistance, actually, if we don't kill it completely, let me say, what we do, we uh, I mean, create resistant microbes. And do you know, there is even, uh, I have no idea whether we have something like this in English, but you know, this type of uh, saying, uh, something which doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. Doesn't kill us, makes, makes you stronger. stronger. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it applies. This is exactly what we need to apply for microbes. Yeah. This is exactly the term that we see for microbial resistance. Yeah. If you want to defeat a microbe, you need to kill it. You need to kill 100% of it across yeah. the board. Otherwise, you're producing. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, and because, because of this, microbes develop in our bodies, microbes develop. Uh, the principle we call them biofilms. Biofilms, let me say, it's a is a specific uh, uh, specific uh, society. Let's call it this term: society of microbes, which are uh, attached, let me say, to different places in our bodies. Microbes are getting attached in our bronchi, in our lungs. They can uh, create biofilms in our gastrointestinal tract. They love our pancreas, I mean, the head of our pancreas. They love so in many different places, like our nostrils, let me say, our ears, let say, our mouth, and so on and so forth. We are full of biofilms. The plaques we see, let me say, uh, on our teeth, they are biofilms. Biofilms which are making the and you know it, what's happening in this case? What is the difference between biofilms uh, and regular microbes? Uh, I would say, we, we did, uh, I mean, we term them so-called uh, biofilm microbes, uh, planktonic microbes. Planktonic, which are moving through our, uh, I would say, fluids, body fluids. And planktonic, I mean, uh, biofilms, they attach they create colonies, many different colonies, and cover those cells 
to buy specific polysaccharide protein films. Why? Because these microbes, they are not reachable by antibiotics. They are 1,000 times stronger okay. in terms of protection compared to, uh, to this microsomacy in platonic state. This is the case. When you look about antibiotic resistance, in many cases, it's not genetic change. Saying, okay, the microbe developed uh, uh, developing some protection from antibiotics. No, the microbe developed protection not because of changes in the genome uh, to be stronger. Uh, it uh, developed uh, protection by creating these polymer films and in order to let antibiotics get into the biofilm. This is the case. So they're not genetically stronger, they're just no, so it's almost no. like a giant. It's like a giant cell wall. They're just they're just building a, a shield. Uh, of some of them are. Some, for example, this uh, staphylococcal. Even we, we still don't know whether let me say it's true. Uh, staphylococcal, uh, staphylococcus aureus, uh, antibiotic resistant. And is resistant, but you know, just people exaggerate the situation because uh, I treated, uh, I mean, antibiotic resistant staphylococcus using just two antibiotics, longer term, using some compound, supplement compound, which is able, let me say, to, to dissolve a biofilm. You get rid of this problem, let me say, very fast. It's actually it's one of the problems for autism we'll discuss later on. Okay. And uh, Tommy, is it okay if we have, uh, we stop at this point? Sure. We'll have, uh, we can do uh, this sometime this week because in uh, 10 minutes I'm having some patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And I know, and we still got some more questions to get through, which we didn't get through. So, yeah, because, because as, as you suggested, we, we, we can have, let me say, se several yeah. in a row. Yeah, we got, we got, yeah, no rush. We can do a million. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah. I know we went a, a little bit down the rabbit hole, but uh, that's what's fun about brainstorming is throwing ideas out and seeing which ones stick. Um, so yeah, well, um, well, we will resume because we uh, mostly me. I I, I uh, diverted this podcast down mm -hmm. into down into uh, uh, Agent Orange and STDs and LSD and penicillin and what. But Doctor Albeck is patient enough to sit here and walk walk this through with me um uh dr albeck i will I'll, I'll send you an email with this episode we'll schedule the next one and uh we'll, we'll try to stay on topic at least for a little bit for the next one and um yeah as always thank you for your time you have a a beautiful a beautifully inquisitive mind that i always uh i always enjoy i always enjoy playing with thank you very much Tommy. but you know i'm enjoying talking to you you know to just for for what reason you know, looks like we are able to discuss uh, not just specific narrow uh, area because uh, autism, as many other problems, would require, let me say, just a kind of uh, uh, short trips or long trips, let me say, to some other areas and just to create a kind of full picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, this this is uh, in my opinion. At some point, of course, it's, we def will definitely come to 
the point of treatment. Uh, sure. I mean, what's happening to children. We'll definitely discuss uh, parents' feedback, which means hundreds of them already mm -hmm. in, in writing, and some, some parents who are interested in talking. Some parents are interested in, just many of them are, are interested in coming to the United States and we're okay, we're ready to be next to you uh, just to get treatment. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think that's also a necessary component of the uh, the scientific method, though, is you kind of have to remove all opinions and you have to remove any sort of idea of what the end picture looks like and you just kind of have to throw it at the wall and go, "What? what is it, you know? You know, it's the rate of autism is increasing and what else has happened in the last hundred years go and you just, you have to take everything into consideration and then you start kind of chip away at it process of elimination. And then it starts to make sense, but you have to open your mind first to be able to throw everything at the wall and go, is it birth control or was it cell phones? I mean, you don't, you don't know. You gotta, you have to, you can't go in with any preconceived notion of what the answer is going to be because otherwise you're only going to be looking for that answer. So, Tommy, thank you very much. Yes, sir. This is what I'd like, maybe the last sure. thing I'd like to tell. If uh, any of your listeners, uh, physicians uh, working in the field of autism in some other fields would be interested in having a dispute, a discussion, and it is because I would love to have a good fight. Yeah, sure. Com if anybody's listening, comment. Okay. Or, yeah, or email me, Tommy's podcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Come on here. We'll have a civil discussion. And uh, yeah, why not? Okay, great. All right. Because, in my opinion, a kind of uh, a change of opinion, clashes of opinion, maybe would finally change something in the field. Well, well, that's literally what viruses do, right? It's, yeah. right? That doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. If you want <laughs> yeah. your thesis to be stronger, try to kill it first. And that's, it'll make it a lot sharper. So, um, and, and you know, this is a good saying. I mean, if something doesn't kill you, it makes it stronger. But yeah. uh, there was a Russian joke. I mean, just a uh, Ukrainian joke. Uh, it was sound this way. If something doesn't kill you, it, it makes you handicapped. <laughs> <laughs> something doesn't kill Yeah, you can, you can see the difference between that American optimism. It makes you stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Soviet Union's like, eh, you might not kill you, but it's still going to mess you up. <laughs> it doesn't kill you. It's going to make you handicapped. That's brilliant. Dr. Alabek, thank you so much, sir. Um, I will email you after this. We will set up another episode and um, look forward to talking with you. Great. We can do even uh, this week sometime, Friday, but it's, it will be up to you. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get back to you. Okay. All right, Dr. Albeck. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you for your time. 